the 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 one time I was arrested, I made mis- not necessarily a mistake. I talked way too much. Had I read this before, I I wouldn't have. I think you buried um, the lead here. You are listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast. And despite what the title may lead you to believe, this is a podcast about the joys and challenges of being a professional PHP developer. Your hosts are three passionate developers who make a living coding and who live stream every week to discuss coding, projects, work, tech, and running a business. And now, here are your hosts, Eric Van Johnson, John Congdon, and Tom Rideout. Hey, you're listening to episode 193 of PHP Ugly. I'm Eric. And with me... I'm John. Well, we're not doing it that way. Oh, that was perfect. Go, Thomas. <laughs> Thomas. I'm, I'm keeping the ugly I'm Tom. going. I'm <laughs> Tom. That, that's the that's supposed to be the ending, not the intro, huh? Gotta screw that. No, I, I, I like it. I like it. it. Gets us through much quicker. She's already said her full name. We don't need to say it again. It's not like it's that important. <laughs> I I appreciate you guys recording early so that she didn't lie about having three passionate developers on the on the uh, air right now. No problem, man. What's what's the what's the deal? Can you share your plans? Uh, I can't share the plans because I don't know the plans other than. My wife invited me on a date tonight Aww. for the first, you know, for the first time, you know, in the past few months. So her mom's coming over to watch the kids and we're going to probably just go for a hike or something. But I, the chances of me being back in time for a show tonight was going to be unlikely. Yeah, I get it. Cool, man. I, I personally get very upset when the wife goes out on dates without me. It's very. <laughs> it is annoying. Right? Right? And the guy she goes out with. Come on. Okay. So, wow, looking at the Trello board. Lots of Trello cards. This is awesome. This is exciting. How's everybody's week? It's been weird. Frustrating. Welcome to America. <laughs> <laughs> now get out. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. Uh, uh, it's been, it's been, cool. I mean, just across the board, it's been a uh, weird world to live in so uh let's try to stay focused on work yeah <laughs> how's, how's we, everybody's job going we brought up politics once last week and look what happened <laughs> it got better we, we we changed the world for the better mm. okay if, if that's what you think <laughs> we're working on it <laughs> uh i've been testing cool you have you have been i saw that in uh in slack yeah, I don't like what, it. What what brought that on? <laughs> you you don't like it now. I got to admit, when you first get into it, yes, it sucks and it's not fun. No, it's 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 very much <laughs> like them, Thomas. At first, you don't see the point. It seems frustrating, but then you you start to appreciate what you're doing until you get a new keyboard. We'll talk about that later. We'll get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, since my system is a monolith and we're adding testing to it, it's. Just functional testing. It's not unit testing. It's not ah, really it's testing, man. That's all. That's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, it's just you know make this thing <clears throat> say okay. I, I've been there. I, I work in a monolith as well, and adding tests after a decade of building a a piece of software is hard. I have to say, PHP unit is not great if there's like a five hundred error or something like that. Like if I'm just trying to check that a page is calling correctly, PHP unit doesn't give me a lot to go off. In what way? What are you expecting and what's not happening? So the first big thing was that I'm running in a test environment. So 
we've had our three environments before, local staging production, but adding testing to it meant that a lot of stuff was just not configured to work correctly. Just because you're not used to having that additional environment? Right. Um, And so I ended up with a ton of 500 errors that I couldn't see what the error was because PHP unit doesn't give it to you. It just says there was an error. Now, why do you need a testing environment versus a local environment? um, Because that gets into the other part is authentication. Um, Laravel has this really nice built-in authentication system so you can pretend to be a specific user Mm -hmm. for PHP unit. Um, But we're not using Laravel's built-in authentication. (laughs) So that was a huge pain in the ass. Uh, and what I didn't realize is that PHP unit doesn't, somehow PHP unit is running as an instance of your Laravel project when you run it. So like in the in the test, you can log in, you can force a login as a test user. And then when you make the get call to your endpoint, it's still the same instance. So you're you're trying to do, you're trying to test your controllers, which is a little bit different, obviously, yes. than unit testing. PHP unit, while it can do functional testing, isn't really meant to do functional testing. Right, but Laravel's mm-hmm. idea of PHP unit is functional testing. They like when you look at their their documentation page, it's just functional testing. There's very there's there's nothing That's on true. there's nothing on unit testing. There's nothing on DDD or anything like that or TDD. What is that? What Dust is though? Is that what you're using? No, we're just using PHP unit. Okay, this sounds like. I don't. I don't know. I haven't done a real testing in, in Laravel. Although we do have a application, uh, a greenfield application that we started a couple months ago, where we have a couple of developers that didn't do unit testing prior or very little that have really taken hold of it in this application because it was basically a requirement. And the two developers on that have raved about their excitement around having all these tests and how it's kind of changed from other client work that they've done or gave them a better perception of testing. Having that, having the tests up front has been so helpful. Yeah, it's, it's great. And all it's just that because this is a monolith and they were not set up for unit testing, we mm. were controller heavy. It's mm. more difficult. Yeah. When you, so the application I work in is the same way where so much work is done in the controller refactoring becomes hard at that point Mm -hmm. Uh, it's only recently in the past few months that we've been able to write controller tests uh, because of the just because of the sheer scale of the code base itself Uh, unit testing legacy controllers is basically impossible you having a framework such as Laravel kind of probably helps you out there yeah a little bit it's it, there. It's been all week, so it's it's not like it's been easy. So is it is it the the fact that you you boot up the application, you bootstrap Laravel? When you are you saying when you call multiple endpoints, you're having an issue because of the authentication piece? God, I haven't even checked for that. I'm just authenticating with every test now, but I probably don't I mean, need to. I probably just need to authenticate on the first test. It, well, no, you tests should live independently. So yes, you should be authenticating on every test, in my opinion, because PHP unit in general does not guarantee order of tests. So while you mm-hmm. could authenticate in one and assume that they're going to go in order, you can't, you shouldn't guarantee that, or you shouldn't well, assume that, especially if you ever want to get into parallel testing, because so that was, you can't. 
that was the other thing too, is that we have a helper file that that's loaded by the autoload script that overwrites the routes uh, method that Laravel institutes. And something about how PHP unit is set up for Laravel, it's bootstrapping Laravel first and then loading the autoload from your Laravel bootstrap directory. So it was doing it in the wrong order and I was getting a cannot override method error. Uh, I mean, a lot of it's, it's doing something weird. It's not like it's just making an HTTP request to pull the page. It's actually loading Laravel up in some way. All right. It's, it's kind of on a separate topic. What, what is the impetus for you changing and, and adding these tests? We've, uh, we've talked about it before and you just basically had no interest or just not something. You no, did. I've, I've had, I've had interest. I've wanted be, to do this for a while. I just haven't had the opportunity to. And my boss gave me a ticket that said, Hey, update us to the latest, you know, setup for testing. And I, yes, sir, I'm not you dogs barking. No, that's me. <laughs> Is it you? It's Thomas. So oh, I really wow. don't, I don't know what the impetus was, but now we're doing it. So I'm happy. Awesome. Well, the more testing, the better. I mean, once you work through these hurdles, testing becomes easier, right? Yeah. It's, as with everything else, there's a the learning curve. You get better at it. You can add tests. And then you wonder how you ever lived without those tests. Yeah. And I think everything moving forward is going to be written for testing, which is going to be nice. Yeah. Moving, on, moving your logic out of the controllers is going to be a huge step forward in that. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the, the overall larger project is we're moving towards React and API-driven sites. I'm going to find out who my dog is trying to murder. Okay. Eric, I do have a question for you while he's doing that. Well, you know, I mean, I've never seen in Trello these orange tickets. What is that all about? Ah, look at you. You're, you're, you, you have a keen eye, my friend. Not only are they orange, but I also have one with me. Uh, in Trello now, you can actually set the background of the ticket. So you can huh. set it to an image or you can set it to a color. So that's what I did. So you- so you're just trying to make them stand out just for fun? Yeah, and it also it, it occurred to me that if if we did this as a standard, I would know who covered which topic. Um, not that that's an issue in the show notes, but I don't know. I, I just felt like it would be helpful information to have in the if we went back and looked and go, "Oh, these are orange." It's something Eric talked about, or something like that, or something you added versus having to go through the the history of that ticket. Right. Yeah. Well. Actually, since we were just talking about PHP unit, I've had this ticket on my board now for a couple of weeks, and it's kind of timely. Um, somebody shaved half their their testing time by running PHP unit directly rather than through Composer test. This has never affected me. I've never done, I've never ran my tests through Composer, but it's something to think about. If that's how you're doing it, maybe that's not the best approach. That just is. Run- I, I didn't even know you could run it through Composer. <laughs> That's how stupid I am. I I, I had no clue either. You, I, I knew are, there was a PHP artisan command to run test, and I don't even use that. I still use the the vendor bin PHP unit, and I think that's just habit for me. See, I, I do it all through. I do it all directly through PHP Storm at this point, just because it's. It's so easy to have it run. I love the fact that I can have it auto run every time a file is saved uh, because I usually yeah, but run. Isn't P- 
isn't PHP Storm using your vendor bin directory, or is it yeah. using its own version? Yeah, yeah, okay, no, same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, it's running it directly. Uh, I didn't know people were using Composer Test, but if you are and you're noticing a slowdown, uh, according to Michael Dorinda, you can shave a, a lot of time off just by running it directly. How does Composer Test even know what PHP unit you? Oh, I guess because it just figures. It's just a it's just a command that calls the vendor bin directory. Yeah, I was say I guess it figures. It, Composer's it knows it's trying to guess. Composer is smart, and I mean, they, it does a lot. I mean, I, I have a I have commands in there that I can run doing Composer run some command. I just don't use it all that often. Well, also <laughs> speaking about testing, uh, grumpy programmer. Uh, king of king him. of testing, king of testing in the PHP world. Who uh, has a new book out, by the way? On he does. PHP yeah. Architect. What's it called? Do you remember what's called? Grumpy program. No. Grumpy testing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very bad intro to that, huh? <laughs> it I, it I, would have been would have been helpful if you had a title. Yeah, oh. as he frantically types on his new keyboard, which we'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> Well, him and Ed Finkler, uh, they they were one of the first podcasts. I, I remember listening to them and uh, listening to Roundtable uh, as far as PHP podcasts go. Uh, and then Phil, Phil Sturgeons, were the three PHP podcasts I listened to back in the day. Uh, they finally hit episode 100 of Dev Hill. And needless Slow to say, they, were, they weren't as consistent with us. I think at one point they took about a year or two hiatus on, on doing any podcasting. But um, apparently they're done. Uh, it was like their their last official Dev Hell podcast. And you know, they, they didn't say that they were never going to record again or anything like that. But that was going to be kind of like the... Uh, they, they basically allude, they alluded to it. Yeah, yeah. But it was good. It was good to hear from him again. And of course, it was a great show, too. Well, one thing I discovered while I was playing with PHP Unit is the use of doc blocks currently in PHP Unit. Uh-huh. And that got me thinking about what we were talking about with attributes uh, the last two weeks. And that's an excellent place for attributes to be used. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, you know, you can have tests that depend on tests that depend on tests, and Stuff like that. You can have deprecations and all that kind of fancy stuff you need. And I wouldn't be surprised if the next version of PHP Unit uses attributes. It, I mean, it, it makes sense. It's just a natural evolution of PHP Unit. It's funny. I just interviewed Derek for this month's issue of PHP Architect. So I, that would have been a good, for, good for, question for, to have for him. For Community Quarter? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I asked him a bunch of questions. I, I wish I had thought of that one, Thomas. That would have been a good question to ask. I think I think I do ask something like, "What what what's the future hold for a PHP unit or something like that?" But uh, yeah, I don't remember. I, I definitely didn't ask that that question. I do need to share this, and I'll I'll, I'll put it in the Trello uh, on Phone Burner. I've often been very confused on testing because I use DocBox a lot with App Before versus setup because if you use traits it's a lot easier to create methods and have an at before uh doc block on there but what comes first the doc blocks the the at before annotations the setup the setup before class uh so somebody took the time to figure out which what the order of running these methods is and running the 
app before in your traits is before the parent. Um, it, it, there's just a whole ordering here, and that's always been confusing to me. So I'll, I'll share that in the show notes. Hey, John. What? You've, you've rearranged your office. I have. You look, it looks much cleaner. That's because on the other side of this door over here, it is an absolute mess. <laughs> I took, I, I've got this little eight foot by six foot basically cut out of an office here. And with us closing down our office, you know, I wanted to bring my desk from there into here. Uh, I was going to put two desks in here, but once I started putting, putting things back together, I realized it's really nice having it opened up and not taking up every square inch of this place. So I'm still in the middle of setting it up. I got my my desk back here, which is a, a very desk, which I like a lot. Uh, got it back here. Everything was fine. It was, it's a standing desk, so it was going up and down just fine. And then all of a sudden, decided to stop. And <laughs> Did I it stop in the standing position or the sitting position? In the middle. Awesome. So, <laughs> so it's no longer literally. a desk. <laughs> it was literally in the middle. I spent probably a good half hour trying different things, finally look up instructions, figured out how to reset it uh, through a, a little key combination, got it reset. It started working again. I was happy. And then it stopped again, this time at the very lowest position. So I can at least use the desk. It's lower than I want it to be, but it was usable. I This was over the weekend. I finally called them on Saturday and I figured it was a one-year warranty. You know, we bought it a year and a half ago when we opened the office. Nope. Five-year warranty. They didn't ask any questions. We're going to ship you a brand new desk. So that should be here uh, next week. What are you going to do with the old one? Send it back. They do want it back. Oh. Yeah. That was the first question too. It wasn't too far off of the title, John. It's called The Grumpy Programmer's Guide to Testing PHP Applications. And it's available go. today on PHP Architect uh, website. So look at you cross promoting. Hey man, it's my world now. You know, <laughs> I got a question for you, John. Uh, yes. The project you were talking about that uh, uses the you the developers are using tests. I do know one of those developers posted in our Slack channel. Stop using SQLite and Laravel unit tests. Do you? Do you know what prompted that? That wasn't from my application. Oh, it wasn't. Oh, okay. No, right. no, it was not I from. Keep... That was not from the application I worked on. Okay, I keep meaning that... to ask him about that, and I haven't. That that was from the Greenfield application I was talking about earlier. They're, they were using SQLite. Uh, it's a common practice just to speed up your tests, but there mm-hmm. are differences between SQLite and MySQL, and if you're not aware of them, it, your tests could break. Mm-hmm. I don't or, know. or not break, I, I think, is the issue. Is it? I, I don't know. I haven't delved deep enough into what was going on to figure it out. It's a typecasting issue. Yeah. Well, I, um, I'm not sure SQLite actually has the ability to do, like, JSON columns like MySQL. So maybe that's... But that would break the test. So I don't know if that, that was the issue. Uh, the issue that I've seen is that um, if, you have a, if you have a type integer... And you try to put a float into it, MySQL will complain, but SQLite won't. Mm, I see. Um, there's also issues with uh, string length not being correctly applied to things, and foreign key relationships not being correctly applied. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I don't think it's an. I don't think it's necessarily you need to stop using it. That's like the uh, the title suggests. It's right. It you need to be aware of what's happening. 
I still think SQLite is a, a good option to use for your tests if you're if you're being careful. I agree. Yeah, and just knowing what the differences were. Okay, cool. I was just wondering if you knew knew anything about it. Okay, can we talk about the elephant in the room here? Because fortunately, we don't have a lot of people talking to us in Discord because I I honestly couldn't reply to them right now. <laughs> <laughs> I I posted on on Twitter earlier this week. You know, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to position my camera. Here oh my god, that is. A, I got my absolutely hideous keyboard. Oh no, no! All right, let me tell you. First off, this feels so good as far as typing goes. I have never felt more comfortable on a keyboard than I do this keyboard. So I, I got a new. Uh, how do you pronounce this, John? Can uh, it's the Kinesis Advantage Kinesis? Two. Kinesis Advantage Two. And it's this completely ergonomically correct keyboard for people listening to the podcast. I'm showing it on the stream for anybody interested. Um, it, it's extreme. It's very extreme. Now, I'm a big guy. I have fairly large hands. My favorite keyboard in in the past was this big Microsoft uh, ergonomic keyboard. And I, I enjoyed it. I I then moved over to this, uh, I still have it actually plugged in, this DOS keyboard. And, you know, it's a, it's just a regular keyboard. I mean, it's just a regular layout. But, uh, but you know, I, I was having issues with my wrists and my, you know, just basically my wrists. So I wanted to give this a try. And my God, does it, it has really slowed me down these last couple of days. But I'm gradually getting better. Um, the biggest thing you can see is that first thing the the keys the the left and right side of the keys are physically separated pretty far and then there's this concave of of keys so your hand fits in here very comfortably the one thing i really like about it is things like the space bar and interbar are down here by your thumb so this is nice what i don't like about it are like a lot of the key combinations i don't even think about how i do them like to open up LastPass. Um, see last i keep saying LastPass. To open up one password or to snap my windows around, I don't, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what the key combination was, and they're completely wrong on this keyboard. Like I can't use. They're them not wrong. Them. They're just in a different position. Right, so in a different position for the for the podcast only listeners, this thing looks like it's it's the size of a skateboard. It's very and, small. Small and that, yeah, it's it's got these divots on the far right and left side where half of the keyboard belong. And then it's, it, it's an just ergonomic a, keyboard. It's, it's a split giant design metal plate. Yeah. It's a split design ergonomic keyboard. It's actually very light. Um, the, well, did you get, did the, you get the foot pedals? No, I, 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 I pedals. saw that. I saw them. I'm not sure what they're used <laughs> for, but I didn't get them. So, uh, so one of the first the key- things I did because I'm a Vim person and I and I use the control key a lot between Vim and Tmux, is on here the control is this one key on the right hand side of the keyboard. So on the left hand side where the cap locks is, I actually remap my cap locks to control. Um, I think John actually has the same so, keyboard. There. I think you remapped yours yeah. to Apple. No, I haven't remapped it at all. You you can you need to upgrade the firmware on it. And there's a new uh, setting where you can do it based on how long you press the key. 
So it could be a caps lock if you just tap oh, it. And if you hold really? down caps lock, it becomes a control key. Oh, I might have to do up, that. Or and a foot pedal. The firm, it, this is a, a total programmable keyboard. It comes where you can do it as a QWERTY or a Dvorak keyboard. Uh, you can remap the keys as much as you want. You can also record macros. So if you are often typing the same thing, you can set it up through the keyboard to do it uh, for you, which is really cool. And, and the really nice thing about it is all that programming of the keyboard is in the keyboard. So if you change computers, everything you've programmed in the keyboard goes with the keyboard. So all those mappings and stuff. One one of the things I didn't realize that that really messed with me. And if you're if you're a developer, you or if you type regularly, you know that on a typical keyboard, the keys are tip each row is typically offset from the row on top of it. So like to go uh, S to X, it would be you you have to go down and to the right a little bit. But on these keyboards, all the keys are in a line. So so X is directly under S. That really kind of takes you really have to start to trust yourself with your with your typing and where, where keys are. It's Oh, uh, this is but, this keyboard has proven how bad of a typer I really am because right oh, now I, I think my right hand was always off by a key. Like my home was HJKL mm-hmm. because of because that's the movement keys in Vim. Mm-hmm. So my my fingers were always off as is, and then that's just that's probably the biggest thing. Along with my left thumb, I think does a majority of my space bar. So it just com- yeah. completely threw me off. The first day I had it, I got to a point where okay, I've got to get some work done. And some videos I watched afterwards were like, don't make the switch when you have work to do. Wait, <laughs> because you're going to be so frustrated that you're going to throw the thing out the window. Yeah, I, I, I till, totally feel that. Yeah. Wait till you have some time to, to dedicate to learning it. I think the same is true if you were to switch to the Dvorak layout. A Dvorak. I don't know how you actually pronounce it, but Dvorak. That's, Dvor- yeah, that's, that's how I pronounce this Dvorak. Yeah. I, I've actually wanted to switch to Dvorak for years. Uh, the The reason I don't is because I all the research I've read on it, it's such a better layout and so much less stressful and you can type so much quicker. I had a friend I worked with years ago who, who swore by it. And the only reason I haven't switched up, because I'm not a great typist either, and especially back then and even now, yeah, I was like a hunt and pick sort of typer. So I figured I could teach myself Dvorak just as well as I was on, on the QWERTY. The, the reason I don't switch it is because... So so many of the keyboards are QWERTY. I don't want to be tripping over my fingers like when I go to my parents' house or something like that because it's not it's not super simple to switch between the two yeah. all the time. There's been from what I've read yesterday because of this keyboard. There's been no real scientific research showing that Dvorak is any faster than QWERTY. Oh really? Yeah, mm, I, I, I heard it's mostly but, it's yeah. mostly an, it's mostly anecdotal. Mm-hmm. Um. Nothing, nothing showing that it's actually any faster. Yeah, it's like what? those studies about Vim. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> start. I, I I even I mean I I find myself I I'm so happy I use Vim. You can say what you want, Thomas, because I find myself wanting to leave the keyboard less and less. I I wasn't a big fan of reaching over for my mouse before. Uh, that's why I had mm-hmm. the Vim plugin installed on on my browser, but now. 
I'm so comfortable here and so much is accessible to me. I, I really, really don't like reaching over for my mouse now. It's so frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this, this it's, is we're going further and further backwards in this, this computing age where you've got this gigantic st- like steel slab of a keyboard, no more mouse. This- this keyboard gonna, is look, you know, Thomas. This keyboard is is not no. It's a little smaller than than my my previous keyboard. We're gonna have you running uh, tape backups soon for everything instead of cloud <laughs> backups. Listen, tape backups are awesome. You know, I, I'm the hippie of the digital age, but no, I just I, I yeah I, I don't know I, I I don't understand why you fight it so much, but I uh, well actually. Because I'm looking at building an Ergodox keyboard. I don't know is what that, that the, is. Is that is that the 3D printed one that is actual separated key, keys? So yeah, sometimes it's 3D printed, um, but it's split in two. It's it's actually completely separate, two separate pods. It's actually three, isn't it? There's the the it left, the right, and then the the thumb the the thumb is its own center pod. Okay, so I haven't seen that one, but there are a lot of designs out there, of course. What's an ErgoDoc keyboard? Uh, E-R-G-O-D-O-X. Oh, D-O-X. If if it's the one I'm thinking of, again, in doing a lot of research for this Kinesis one, I saw that, and that's one of the the complaints, that they really want to see Kinesis offer that option of a truly split keyboard. So the the thing with the ErgoDocs is that you can buy all the pieces individually and make your own. It looks like the key layout is exactly the same, though. I, I, and I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm saying it's it's the exact same key layout as, as this. Yeah, it's very similar. No, it's not very similar. It's exactly the same. I'm looking at it. <laughs> well, it, it uses I'm, a Teensy 32 chip, and mm-hmm. I think it has basically the same feature set. Yeah. So, so the the one thing the one thing I did notice, although the keys aren't marked, it's funny, John. I don't know if you ran into this yet, but you know, in when we're coding and you're doing um, where you have to, what's the rocket called? The equal, what's that called? The fat arrow. Yeah. Yeah. Is that equal? Is that what you call it? If, yeah. I, I, it took me like 10 minutes to find the equal plus symbol on the yeah. keyboard. <laughs> it was it. Completely where it's not supposed to be. I noticed that as well. Oh, man. I, I was frustrated because I thought I was going to have to switch to the, to the keypad every time I wanted to hit the equal sign. And I'm like, this is not going to work for coding. And then I realized, oh, it's, it's on the left hand side at the top there, just under the escape key. That's awesome. Yeah. But you have so, a, you have a, a contact in common, a person in common that uses a keyboard that swears by it as well. You and Thomas do. Oh, what's that? Or who's oh, that? Oh, that's that's right. Your your boss uses it, Jose. Well, he, he uses was, an ergonomic keyboard and didn't offer he, me one. He uses this keyboard, and he he even said, "Give it a couple days. You'll get you'll get fast." And, and I've already felt my speed increasing. Like the first day was horrible. Horrible. Mm-hmm. But I will say I used it for 24 hours st- straight. Like I, I had made the decision that I was going to use it for 24 hours for sure. And I, I was, I was still struggling by the 24th hour, but on the 24th hour, I was in the middle of doing a reply to somebody, a very lengthy reply to somebody on Facebook, no less. I, I was telling John, I posted it for, to Facebook 
for the first time in like two or three years. And I decided, you know what? I need to pound this response out. This is taking too long. I reached for my other keyboard, which I still have plugged in, and then I'm tripping all over myself there. It's like I couldn't figure out where the damn keys were anymore. It had only been 24 hours. It was I, I slowed down just as much. So I was equally shitty on both keyboards. <laughs> so, But it's getting there. I, I tell you, just just – I find myself constantly resetting because I try to get ahead of myself and I find my, I start doing what I do on, on a normal keyboard, which is I typically hover my hands and then start pecking and finding stuff. And this keyboard, it, you really need to be in that position and just trust your fingers and just move them up down just a, just an inch and hit all your keys and I, I constantly find myself resetting and putting my hands back on the keyboard where it belongs <laughs> and just, you know, trusting and, and, you know, just trying to get that confidence in typing. But I tell you, the biggest thing I love is on, on a normal keyboard, I was always accidentally, because my fat fingers, I was always accidentally hitting the enter key when I was either trying to do a quote or a single quote. I was always hitting the enter key. And I, that is completely not an issue on this new keyboard. Uh, where that enter key is is perfect. It's like one in on the thumb, and I never, I never accidentally hit it, or I haven't accidentally hit it. Hit See, it that's yet. that's been that's been another complaint of mine. Is I'm used to that enter key being over on my pinky and just like hitting it. Nope, not there. See that that's that's one of the things I'm starting to try to use. That historically I haven't used for typing are my pinkies. I'm not a pinky mm-hmm. typer, and now I'm trying to trying to train my pinkies into saying, okay, you know, this is, you, know, you, <laughs> you need to work keys. now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, stop slacking. You, you got to do some got work. Some, you got some stuff to do here. All right. Yeah, enough but, about but, keyboards. I, a story came across Twitter, not about PHP, going back to basic politics and crap that just floored me that I just thought I would share because again, I had no clue that this happened, uh, back in 2017, actually, uh, you know that if you're arrested, you shouldn't talk to the cops. The cops are not your friend. I'll agree. Uh, yes. I've, I've had to explain that to my daughter. She didn't understand why. Right. I totally agree with that, yeah. The, the, the one time I was arrested, I made mis- not necessarily a mistake. I talked way too much. Had I read this before, I, I wouldn't have. I think you buried um, the lead here. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> But if you ask for a lawyer, they have to stop any questioning until you have a lawyer. But it turns out there are ways around that for the cops that absolutely just mind boggle me, where you could use very normal vernacular for where you're at. Back in 2017, somebody said, I want a lawyer, dog. And it's perfectly fine vernacular. Mm. You're, you're trying to say, hey, I, I, want, a, I want a lawyer. But because mm-hmm. he said lawyer dog and the way it got transcribed in by uh, in transcription in the courtroom, they actually wrote lawyer dog GOG. It went up through the courts, up to the Supreme Court, who refused to hear it and upheld uh, whatever the court below them is as if the person really wanted a lawyer dog and not a lawyer. Dog lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> no, a, so- a, a literal lawyer dog, not even a dog lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so, my my question when I read that, and, I, and I'm I think I'm on board 
with what you're saying, John, there, there was no reason for a misunderstanding. It's not like that was that weird of, of a way to speak. Mm-hmm. But my bigger question was, what if the person can't, isn't able to speak English? It's like, and they ask for a lawyer in, in another language. Well, and I think just, if you if you, if you can't speak English, they're going to find a translator because you're not going to be able to incriminate yourself anyway, mm-hmm. right? In in English at that point, mm-hmm. um, I think the whole the whole point of the message is be very clear. I'm not saying anything. I want to talk to a lawyer, or, or I'm, um, uh, I want to invoke my Sixth Amendment rights, and I want access to counsel, or I want a lawyer, and that's it. Don't say any any more or any less. Uh, another similar case was came up where somebody said i think it's time to speak to a lawyer or Mm. or no i think they said maybe it's time to talk to a lawyer almost like it was a question or it wasn't it wasn't a firm it is time and then they said some other things that were then held against them Mm. so it's just being very clear especially with what's going on in the world right now be very clear i'm not speaking i want to talk to a lawyer hopefully with what's going on in the world right now this won't be an issue again because (laughs) police Well, I mean, police reform is the big deal right now. And what they're doing and getting away with is bizarre. I mean, horrifying. But not when it's coming from the top. The the things that are being said from the top are just absolutely mind-boggling. I will will have to see. Telling telling governors to rule with, with... might you know like dominance or dominance you need to dominate or you're gonna look like a fool that's yeah that's what that's what's leading to this is that's the way people are acting that's not how you treat your citizens not in the u.s so so thomas you got into it in our slack channel this week and i was a little i was a little i I wanted to get into it with you on on the show about it yeah uh somebody had posted about an rfc that's being proposed see how how i transitioned that that was not a very good that was that was not an elegant (laughs) segue at all (laughs) somebody had posted about a rfc uh in the in php for null safe operators and you seem i saw it i'm like wow that is going to clean up code that looks really nice i like that you seem very much against it yeah it's gonna hide errors no I don't think it's going to hide errors. Why, how, how do you how do you think it's going to hide errors? So this RFC allows you to add a question mark uh, before the pointer on an object, mm-hmm. and if that question mark is there and the object being referenced doesn't exist, then it just returns null instead of giving you a uh, undefined property or method on null error and. Boy, I couldn't tell you who this is for, except for lazy people who are coding poorly. I don't. I, it's so going to be great in the legacy apps. It's if I, I said it's going to be great in legacy apps as we get better and better with type hints, especially with return type hints, it will become less of an issue. But there are still so many applications, so many methods that return an object or false or null mm-hmm. or as a as an early escape plan, they just return out of the method. So it's basically a void or a null. Right. But they shouldn't do that. That's my shouldn't. issue. Number issue. Number one is that shouldn't. Yeah. Objects should, you, you should be throwing an exception when you're expecting an object and get null instead. Mm. And number two is just the examples where they chain this 
three layers down session user get address country mm -hmm. if there's a failure here you don't know where the failure occurred is it was it the user that didn't exist or the get address method that didn't exist or the country that wasn't set or maybe country was null but the user account wasn't defined like maybe null is a valid country but, but you're it, but, so yeah, now you've it, you've pushed your error of a missing user on the session further down the stack where it can do even more damage but there are times where you don't care where the error happens you so but somebody that brought this that's a smell it is so the person that brought this to my attention their comment was in a perfect world with well-designed and strongly typed php maybe it isn't as helpful and it does seem to encourage breaking the law of the meter, but there are lots of places like fetching a single entity from Doctrine where it'd be really nice. So you, mm. you're calling Doctrine with um, where it will return a collection or null. And if you're not catching it, PHP throws an error. So now you, you're, you'll get back a, a null item versus a collection. Yeah, so you check your record first. I, but now I you're, adding, you're adding I additional code at that point that no, but you may I not need to. I could implement this exact same functionality by just putting an ampersand or an at an sign at. in front of the call. So when it returns null, the, silence the error. Silence you're the doing, error. Yeah, you're I doing the exact same thing. You can't silence a, a fatal error though, right? Is, sure. is, is calling on null... A, a fatal or is it an exception that just tell suppresses you. error messages it doesn't stop from actually throwing an error i think that's the difference it's just a there. notice it's just a notice yeah trying to get property of non-object and if you add that it, it, you get back a null in that object or that variable yeah because there's no return no it's it can't be just a notice it's got to be a fatal error it's I, I run in, yeah. yeah, I run into that often where its execution is halted at that point. Well, I just did it in Tinker, so Tinker might be suppressing it somehow. Mm. Um, where I where I see this being useful is especially where you are calling a long chain of methods where when you expect to get back something, mm -hmm. maybe you'll check that for null or not, but you don't care where along that chain it broke. And you don't want to have to say you know, after every single argument, hey, did I get back that object that I was expecting or not? Because mm -hmm. that's just going to add to a bunch of, if this is null, then do something. If this is null, then do something, versus checking it once afterwards. Mm -hmm. I think there are pros and cons to it. Yeah, I, 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 I'll admit, I, I didn't see the cons until you guys started talking. I liked it. Like, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that because... I, I, I still do this, too, but I'm like, yeah, I like that. That looks very clean. But I, I do kind of see what you're saying. Even Thomas's point of, of hiding where, where the failure is at, it seems legitimate to me. But. And I am correct it, here. It, item equals new standard class DD item thing. That's different, though. You're calling item thing on a class. That's different than saying dollar item arrow something without item with where item is null. Okay, so that gives me a trying to get error. property of non-object error exception. Right. <clears throat> if I throw an ampersand if I throw an at sign in front of it, you still get that. I get null. I if do not the case, get the what, exception. If that's the case then the, this RFC means absolutely nothing. Correct. Which doesn't Correct. make any sense. Which is what I've been trying to say. This functionality already exists and it's using it's 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 exactly duplicated. So why maybe isn't that coming up in the RFC? Maybe there's a better use case, whatever. But because 
this is a special kind of error suppression. This is a new kind of error suppression. But all it is is an error suppression. An error suppression is a code smell. It, I agree. Yes, it makes the code tighter and leaner, but it does so because it's suppressing potentially an, a dozen errors. Or it's appearing to throw an error when there shouldn't have been one because null and null are different. You know, null due to an exception and null due to an expected result are two different things. So now... Like I said, with the country, if you're expecting that the country maybe can be null on a user account, but it turns out the user account just doesn't even exist, now you're getting what you expected to be null for a null country, but not realizing that you've just skipped over three errors. Uh, in, in, in chat, uh, uh, what's the name here? Eric. Kia Eric asks, is this similar to Laravel optional? I, I don't think it is, because optional... First thing, I'm not sure if you can chain optional, um, but optional is just that. It says, hey, uh, this, you know, if we have it, use it. If not, it, you know, it's not a problem. That's, that's a- the same. It, that sounds like the same thing, though. That, that actually came up in our Slack channel of somebody saying optional, optional, okay. optional. Yeah. yeah. When we were talking about this exact thing. Really so it sounds like it's very. <laughs> it sounds like it is the same yeah, this, thing. Yeah, this, it's the same thing as optional. I mean, there are plenty of existing ways to handle this. You could make a programmatic version that just said or null, and it checked every, you know, uh, th- this is dumb. This are is you, a, are, you, are you saying optional can be chained as well? Oh, I see what they did. Optional and then, and then optional inside. Oh, that is horrible looking. <laughs> sure, it's, it's, it's horrible looking, but this... What is the intention here? Because it doesn't clean up code. It just obfuscates code. It doesn't prevent errors. It just obfuscates them. I mean, this is... It, it will... So I run into this often enough where I get something called on a null object. I do have to go fix the code. Absolutely. Because it means that there's an error. Yeah. I get it you, all the you, time. You have, I, all the time have I have point. a... All the time I get a null object error. And that means that there is a bug and I have to fix the bug. What, or 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 check or check within the chain prior to calling what possibly could have gone wrong. Right, because if it, so, if there's if you're getting null and you don't expect it, then you're not handling the null case. Yeah, this this would come up a lot using third party libraries where if they're not doing strict typing, they don't have good return values. I could right. see wanting to. I could see wanting to use this. In that case, where okay, but then take the case where you have a, a crappy third party that is using this functionality and stops throwing errors for stuff you needed to throw errors for. This it, this point. is a tool for bad programmers explicitly. It means you're not validating your data, or you have a bug and you're not addressing it. it All right, d- I think, there's, I think you've changed my mind. There is <laughs> there's no there is no valid use case for this at well, all. See, I. He changed my mind because I used to think the same thing about the at operator. Again, going back 20 some years ago, you threw the at operator everywhere because you, you didn't care about <laughs> the errors. Now, if I saw that, I would scream at somebody. I mean, what are you doing? This doesn't belong here. So, okay. You've, you've changed my mind. Well, yeah. James, I mean, I don't I've, want to record anymore. Let's wrap this I've, shit up. I've heard ex- People saying, well, what about these expansive applications that receive JSON data that's not necessarily formatted the same way or it's it's formatting changes or whatever? Well, then you're not validating it. You're not validating your incoming data. So that's your problem. You have to fix that. Or, you know, if you've got something that 
there might not be a user there, then you need to check for that and handle it. But there's no, I have not seen a, a good valid example of where a good programmer would want to use this. Butter Crumpets disagrees. Says that if you're a good programmer, you can fix bad programmers code because you can now find it more easily. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's just search. I mean, search for the at search for the at operator or search for search for bad. I don't know. Search for to dos. To me, this is a to do. Yeah. Right. I liked it, but all all the I'm, examples I'm... all the examples I keep seeing are are well, you know inexperienced programmers will use this a lot like good. Mm -hmm. So they'll get into a bad habit. We're going to promote a bad habit. And this, this hasn't been accepted. This was just an RFC. So it's not even necessarily something that's coming. It's just something somebody had suggested. So it was just interesting because it it came up in our Slack and I, I, whenever you have a strong opinion about something, I like to bring it up on the show. So, well, and the, in the RFC itself, the example it says is, Currently, checking for null leads to deeper nesting and repetition, which is like there's assumption, a wrong assumption number one is that you would have to nest in order to check the full depth of your your object. You uh, just it's replacing validation with a shrug. Mm. Well, I don't really care that much. So, so Thomas, you would have enjoyed. Uh, John and I just got off another another recording. We recorded our interview for PHP Architect this month. No, yes, this month, yeah. And it was with Eric Mann. Uh, he's the person who writes the Security Corner art- article for PHP Architect. And that was, I mean, I don't know, John, how you felt about it, but man, that was a great interview. Yes, I agree. Yeah, he's always he's always been a good speaker, and I think that's why he's done so well at conferences. He's been able to write so many articles for the magazine over the past few years. And I, I said that to bring up uh, the point that he said he mentioned that if if you don't you know if you don't do anything else with your web browser, install an ad blocker extension and install an extension called Privacy Badger from EFF Technologies. Are you familiar with Privacy Badger, Thomas? I'm not. That was his, that was like his number one recommendation, especially for people working from home. Yeah. I would have given you a heads up had we had more time between recordings because I would have liked your input on it. But I, I have the tab pulled up. Uh, it's uh, It says a Privacy Badger automatically learns to block invisible trackers instead of keeping lists of what to block. So somehow, I guess, it has some sort of AI behind it. I, I I don't like to use the word AI, and they don't use the word AI, but it's a learning sort of. Block. But it also doesn't it doesn't send any of your information back to Privacy Badger for for it to learn anymore. So and what it's, it, Thomas, what it says right, here it's just a notice. What it says here is that it it sends the do not track signal with your all your requests, and if uh, if it sees a website ignoring the do not track signal. It will add it to a block list. Hmm. Yeah. So I have it queued up to install. He mentioned that, and then we asked a lot about security on like communication. My my big gripe was email, and how bad email was, and how I <clears throat> completely failed with getting my family around the idea of PG, PGP, which the world the world couldn't get their head around PGP. So. 
I mean, I tried at a me- I tried at doctor's offices back in the '90s, and I couldn't get them to do it. So, right. you can't get people that deal with really personal information. You're not going to get your average user saying, "Hey, can you pick up a gallon of milk on your way home?" To do it, <laughs> but he did mention that he he's a big supporter of Signal uh, for instant messaging. So I think when I, I have that, I, I don't use it, but I have it. But I think I'm going to have to see about maybe turning the, the girls, uh, my daughters and my wife onto it just to have a little bit more security in our communication. So I just gave away all, all the all the interesting talking points we had on the other podcast. So nobody needs <laughs> you, you can just listen to this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Listen to the podcast. And subscribe to the magazine, please. Especially because he says it way more eloquently than we just did. Oh, yeah. I mean, he actually seems like he knows what he's talking about instead of us, like, regurgitating <laughs> things we overheard. <laughs> that is helpful. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, I don't know. Have we – I mean, it feels like it's been an hour. Has it been an hour? It's just been just been under an hour. Um, I have shown over, but hey, whatever. I have an interesting thing, and this is not necessarily PHP-related, but uh, – EA has released Command and Conquer Remastered Code onto GitHub. What's that? What's that mean? Uh, Command and Conquer was an old uh, video game that they just recently remastered as a new release, and the full source code is now on GitHub as released by Electronic Arts. Is it open source? I mean, can you like compile it yourself or? What? Yeah. Huh. Well, oh. I could have sworn I had something similar to this on the Trello board, and I don't. Don't see it there. So good segue, Thomas. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's under the it's under the GNU, uh, the GPL. Well, oh, Thomas, okay. Thomas has it on Trello. No, I I have something similar, not that. Oh, oh. Microsoft open sourced GW Basic. What we haven't talked GW about that. Basic. Basic. Did Did you ever program in Basic back in the eighties, nineties? Are you kidding me? I rocked Basic, man. I, I'm, they, I'm, I'm they waiting open, for it to make its comeback. They they made it open source. Like you can you can install it with go tos and data commands and all that. Oh my! This this was how I learned to program when I was ten years old, <laughs> and I still too. I still have my reference manual where when I was first learning to program, I would just flip through the reference manual and find a new command and be like, oh. Let me try this, and then I would I would test it out. I well, used to I write. I would go get Coco Coco Computing Magazine, and it would have pages of basic programming that I would then put into my. I would I would copy into my system, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I know. So I saw that and was like just floored. They're not they're not accepting pull requests. It's on GitHub, <laughs> but it it really was just a hey here here it is for historical purposes you know, do with it what you will. Well, right. I don't think they'd have to worry about pull requests anyways, because it's not written in C. <laughs> say, so what's, what, what is ASM? I don't even know what that is. Assembly? Yes. Oh, is that assembly? This oh. is yeah. assembly language. Yep. Oh my God. So if you, if you were to pop open, oh. first off, I'm not sure how they did this, but it does say that the initial commit was 38 years ago. <laughs> you no, you can you can change your commit history easily. Okay, cool. Yeah, you've never seen people do that to change their their little commit message at the bottom to say like hire me. No. Yes, I yeah. have. I thought that yeah. was uh, done differently. 
No, oh, you, this you, is awesome. You change your com- you, your commit history. So yeah, it's it's raw assembly, and boy, I couldn't tell you a single thing that this does. It's all well, it's well, it's well commented. It tells you what each line does. It's perfect. But yeah, this is this is insane, man. This is how people used to code. Huh? This is how machines used to code. <laughs> Heroes. Yeah. This just it it was just a bright spot when like just made me think back to my my childhood and made me happy. I'm telling you, man, Microsoft's gonna go gonna go Linux. I feel it. We talked about it on the podcast today. Pay attention. Pay attention to the uh, interview coming up in the next month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think we had predicted uh, Microsoft was going to buy Ubuntu, but that hasn't happened yet. Okay, I think that's uh, that's good. I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm I don't know, suspiciously tired. I'm way too sober to be talking to you guys. It's too much light outside. I, yeah, you're, we, you're supposed to, you're supposed to start early when when you're podcasting. Isn't that the rule? I feel, I feel dirty. Oh. Is that you did? Oh, see, this is the first episode in history where John's drinking and neither me or Eric is. <laughs> you, we're man. setting we're setting new records. <laughs> I feel I feel I feel shameful for some reason. I don't know, but hey. Okay. All right. Uh, well, well, before you, before you wrap up, no, before you mm-hmm. wrap up, just so I can clear this off the board because it's stupid. Uh, Twitter is allowing all employees to work from home forever. I bring that up just because I went to the dentist office for the first time uh, this morning since all this crap has happened, and talking to them, they're they're like, "You get to work from home." I'm like, well, I have been for many years. It's not new. Uh, so Twitter made the announcement that from here on out, employees will be able to work at home forever if they want to. I thought and, that was interesting. Uh, weren't you? I mean, maybe it was just me. I was surprised to find out that that wasn't the case for them. I'm not shocked because a lot of the big companies, Facebook was very adamant they would not allow work from home. They just made the, the switch recently as well where they're going to allow a portion of their workforce to work from home. Uh from my understanding, most people don't want to at Facebook. And I don't know if it's because they just, they're used to going into the office now. Free but, food. I don't know. But Facebook was very adamant that they wouldn't hire remote. You had to, to move to their office locations in order to work mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. So maybe things will change. Yeah, it's good. See, well, see how that works out for them. The the nineties revolved around this idea of everyone's going to be working from home and telecommuting is going to be the future. And so many tech companies jumped on that, like Cisco, and and the, it turned out that none of the businesses wanted to allow that because it just disrupted things too much. So now, when it was mandated upon every business, we've got these tools to do it, and the businesses are saying, well. Now that we're here and we can close down three of the five floors that we rent at a high rise, that's going to save us a huge amount of money. So mm-hmm. I'm totally fine with teleconferencing. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine 25, 30 years ago where you didn't have the tools you have now for communicating with people? It, it would have been completely different. It would have been fundamentally. I mean, I would say 15 years ago, it wouldn't have been possible. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about half the people having dial-up connections... And uh, <laughs> and flip phones. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's well, and, and, I don't even I need a home office. I could work off of my phone from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's only part of it. I, I think it's a big part. I mean, having having the technology around to allow it. 
But I also think that companies didn't want to invest in a workflow, figuring out what the workflow on making sure people are working and how, how, how to, you know, how to track how productive somebody's being if they're not there at the office. I mean, and, we we have we have that issue still. I mean, that's not never yeah. going to go away. You you're still constantly wondering: Am I paying somebody to sit around and do nothing right now? Are they watching TV or playing games? Well, I, I, exactly, you're never going to exactly. you're never going to get away. And, and, with and that that's why some some companies still don't want to do it, right? Because they say if nothing else, they're at the office, right? We know we know they're physically <laughs> here, but I, I think that this this pandemic forced that issue a little bit and they realized that they, oh yeah, we can put some metrics in, in place to track their performance, to track that, that they're being productive. They, they may, might even be coming comfortable with the idea of, yeah, I don't care if they're watching TV in the middle of the day, as long as they're pro- producing, I'm fine with it. And, I think not to get too uh, crazy socialist on you, but it's empowering the workers as well to say, I'm not going to an office. So, you know, when, when you're looking for a new job or something like that, you're going to get a lot more people saying, I work better from home. My systems work better from home. I have a, a smoother workflow. I get stuff done that I need to get done and I get work done. I don't spend two hours on the road for no reason. Right. Because... If your commute, like my commute from, from Encinitas to downtown when I was working there, could be an hour and a half each way. Easy. Mm-hmm. So why am I throwing away three hours of my day every single day to sit in an office where I could do the same thing at home? Mm-hmm. That's a waste of my time. It's a waste of the company's time. I could be doing so much more. Well, I could I, be I think, working out or working on hobby. Not doing those things, but I could be. <laughs> <laughs> I think they also realize that, you know, people with family, you know, kids get sick, you get sick, but if you work from home, your tolerance is a lot higher. Like I have to be really sick for me not to work from home or uh, my children aren't young now, but if my, even when my children you know, we're young. If they were sick and I work from home, I could still be productive. Yeah, maybe right. I'm not working a full eight hours, but I'm definitely. Uh, yeah, I could probably give you six or seven hours. I just need a little bit more time with the sick kid. Why take him to the doctor? And you're not going to get sick as often. The flu is not it's going true. to sweep through your house and disable half of your workers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always been pros and and, and cons to it, and I think what the pandemic did was force the hand of looking at some of the pros and trying to figure out, you know, stop using the cons as a crutch for not trying to implement workflows that, that can help people work from home. And it kind of forced these companies hand to do that. And like you said, I think some of them are seeing the benefit like, Hey, you know, we don't need so much office equipment. We don't need so much office space. We can shrink these things, save money. And yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Well, we, we had a friend a uh, number of years back who, whose business mentality was no work from home. Doesn't work for developers. Uh, there are some people that can do it, but as a corporation, I don't think it works out that well. And he is now a huge advocate of work from home tech. Oh, so is this somebody I know? Uh, yeah, from the uh, the building where we would meet up in Carlsbad. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. Adam, adamantly against work from home. 
and is now a proponent of work from home tech. And I think is even working with startups that specialize in work from home tech. <laughs> so awesome. he's actually working with the, our most recent host for SDPHP. If we're talking about the same person, I'm sure we are. I believe we are. Yeah. I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to get that specific with it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, you know, mentalities are changing even at the higher levels, even at the, the advisors levels. So I, uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. And, you know, I've looked at LinkedIn and jobs like uh, uh, job sites like Lara Jobs, and it's 90% remote right now because no one wants to open up and create a, a nuclear meltdown pandemic. <laughs> so, well, it's weird. Why not? I don't know. It's some liability thing, I imagine. Weird. Yeah. All right. Okay, are we done now? Can I wrap up? Yes, bring us the Patreons. Patreons! Shit, I forgot about the Patreons. I should have had that up the whole time. You <laughs> that's why. I, that's why I said it. Patreons. Thank <laughs> that's you why I posted it. Patreons. There we go. <laughs> Thanks to all our Patreons for supporting our show. We don't. We don't talk about you guys enough, and we appreciate it. Buttery, since you're listening, you are still officially the longest running Patreon supporter. And I, I think John and I have talked about it. We're going to get you something. I, I'm gonna. I'll reach out to you for an address or something. I'll. Uh, we'll. Uh, we'll send some international swag your way. So I said it now. It has to happen. I appreciate you. <laughs> oh right. yeah, I was supposed to harass you about sending out the uh, keychains this week. I forgot. Yeah, I know. I need to. And I have the box in my garage. I need to kind of. Actually, I don't. I realize I don't have it in my garage. I thought it was the box I brought home and put in my garage. But I did take a couple boxes from the office. And put it in uh, my storage unit. And I realized uh, when I went into my box in my garage that I didn't have the swag in that box. It's in the goddamn storage unit. So now I got to go there and get get the swag from that. But yes, you're right. I do need to. I need to get that out. I uh, I'm slacking. Okay, that's it. I'm done talking to you, bozos. It's it's way too early, and I got I got things to do. So. Uh, that's going to do it for episode 193 of PHP. Th- we are. Thank you for joining us early. I appreciate being able to Thanks be on the show. Out with you, the people who watch the live stream, the people who listen to audio, you know, it's probably like the same drive to work that you're listening to us. So it doesn't really impact you. <laughs> but yes, um, I was going to say something. Oh, seven episodes, guys. Seven episodes to 200. I'm just saying. If we record. An episode a day for the next week, we could get there. On, on Grace, it would be Grayson's birthday at that point. Perfect. Really? Perfect. You see? Everything lines up. Right. Maybe that won't happen. Sure, no. Yeah, nobody I'm wants to listen to us seven hours a week. We're getting close. I feel like I want to I want to get there because I feel like, nah. I feel like the country's going to fall apart before it happens. I think, I think we should take a few months off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say we get to 199 and just like give it a hiatus for about six months. And... <laughs> All right, that's it. 193 is in the book. I'm Eric. I'm John. I'm Tom. Keep, Keep it, it ugly. Thanks for listening to the PHP Ugly podcast. If you would like to support PHP Ugly, check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash phpugly. You can also follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly or join us in the PHP Ugly Discord channel. Show notes and RSS feed can be found at phpugly.com. 
To catch the live stream, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash phpugly. You can also subscribe to the edited podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catcher of choice. A rating of five stars is always appreciated. And finally, thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you are looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at diegodev.com. Until next week, keep it ugly.